Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon and now Japanese anime continuity. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me as we continue our journey through the Transformers Headmasters anime, my good friend in crime as it were, my partner, my tag team partner if you're a wrestling fan, my fellow Dinobot if you're a Transformers fan, it's Mr. Andy Hanley. How are you doing good sir? I'm glad you just didn't call me the wheelie to your Daniel. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll take that as the compliment that I'm sure. I it would was never made. do that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I'm 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 doing good. Um, we 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 have two episodes to talk about, and yeah, there's there's I have some questions about things that happen in these episodes, so we can we can get onto that in pretty due course. Yeah, and that's following on from quite frankly the monumental story we we covered last time which so peek behind the curtain folks it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded that episode so we've had proper time to digest that but it is really weird andy going into this just kind of knowing oh yeah cybertron got blown up didn't it <laughs> yep yep cybertron's blown up rodimus prime has gone off on his vacation or whatever he's doing his vision <laughs> quest i'm not quite sure um and yeah like a, a lot a lot has changed in the world of transformers and i guess kind of continues to change in these episodes like if there's one nice thing about these is that although they're sort of slightly generic episodes in their sort of individual forms like they are very much part of kind of the next story arc of this series that is setting everything up for, you know, the direction of travel that we're headed in. And, and and that continues to be the nice thing about this series, is that it's not just, like, fight for energy source of the week because dot dot dot. Like, there's a clear... It is exactly that of just, like, oh, new energy source, you know, in at least one of these episodes. But also there is kind of a, a, a deeper kind of, you know bigger picture behind it that is building so it's, it continues to have that feel of like oh this is kind of a more important all-encompassing story and less sort of purely episodic stuff agreed and we'll certainly get to it by the end of the second episode we're talking about today which just for housekeeping sake everyone we are covering episodes 11 and 12 of japanese transformers headmaster masters today excuse me but it is actually raising a lot of other questions as to what direction they're going in next, aside from what they've set up, which you've alluded to and we'll be covering in depth today. But it is really nice. And <laughs> I mean, we've talked about this before, how, you know, our anime professional and personal endeavors, as it were, and how we're used to this. But it's actually really refreshing still to see Transformers doing this, given where we were with the US continuity and how this... It, it differs in many ways, still kind of the same in many ways, but it's a refreshing difference as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had like multi-episode stories and multi-part stories in the US cartoon, but those still always tended to end up with kind of a reset to zero, more or less. You know, it was very much a kind of like, okay, that story's over, you know, things are back as they were, whereas we have very clearly not had that with this series, you know, as mentioned, they've blown up Cybertron, in case you in case you missed the, the news headlines, Cybertron blown up, news at 11. Um, so yeah, you know, that's the kind of thing that the, the cartoon beyond the movie um, never really particularly did, you know, there was never a whole lot of kind of forward movement with a lot of the, the, the storylines. Yeah, and that through line, it, it's gradually built up and it, it is nice to sort of 
very much get a clear indication of where we're going in these two episodes. And we'll we'll get onto that as we go along here. But just another quick bit of housekeeping on that note, folks. If you want to watch the episodes, we are following the old UK 2004-2005 era DVD release of the series by Metrodome. So that's the version we're following. But you can find all the episodes of Headmasters on YouTube if you search for them. So if you want to join in the party, as it were, feel free to do so. And let us know in the comments, as it were, be it via Twitter or Instagram. We are at StarscreamsPod. Or if you're watching on YouTube, hi, YouTube, first of all, why not leave a comment below and let us know what you thought if you feel so inclined. Good sir, let us advance to the first episode of today, of which it is titled Zarak, the Shadow Emperor. Indeed. Episode 11. And I, and I, and I will say, for, for people watching on YouTube, I'm very happy that you spell Emperor right, because I've already glanced down at my notes and have spelled it wrong at least once, which is, <laughs> is one of those... I'm pretty good at spelling, I would like to say, for the record, but there are some words that I just always mangle, and Emperor is always one of them, so... Oh yeah, there, there's all, we've all got a couple of, like, what I phrase as Achilles heel words, where you just always are like, is it that way? Yeah. Do I always do it that way and it's wrong? And then you put it down, and you're like, darn it! <laughs> But I digress. We begin... Now, I'm going to say, Andy, according to the TF Wiki, because I did not clock this, well, until I read it on there, we begin on Athenia, but you wouldn't know it because I thought we were starting it, like, during a scene from the film The End of Evangelion. (laughs) Because we were, like, on a red beach, there was red water, could it be blood? Probably not, because it's a kid's cartoon. But we're starting in a very somber location. There's, like, a red sunset happening... And we see that RC, Wheelie, and Daniel are reflecting, one, on the destruction of Cybertron, but also on the departure of Rodimus Prime. We pan across this red beach location, and we start to see that Wheelie is crying. He's kind of fully processing what's happened. The narrator specifically saying, quote, Cybertron, home planet of the Transformers, has been destroyed by the Decepticons, and is now lost for eternity. So in case you thought, folks, that, oh, they'll just wish it back or something like in Dragon Ball, no, this is gone by the sound of it, well and truly. Yep, yep, in- indeed it is. Um, I-, I will I will call out, I-, I mean, A, I really liked the kind of, the very 80s kind of, like, effects on this whole kind of like mourning for Cybertron there's some really great kind of um like crossfades between crying wheelie and footage of Cybertron blowing up in slow motion the music was on point for this it was like it was like some kind of 80s like ballad music video but about the death <laughs> of a planet not the fact that your girlfriend has left you um but my favorite part coming out of the end of all of this is wheelie's line i miss him now he's gone which was a very <laughs> passive-aggressive way of basically saying, like, I hated the guy when he was around, but I guess maybe he was all right in hindsight. Yeah, and it's what's also amusing, and again, from our, from our ventures into the world of anime, we're very used to seeing sort of flashbacks happening in anime episodes, and we sort of got, in a way, the other side of the coin in the, in the two-parter, Cybertron's in Grave Danger, whereby we got sort of the still-flashing images that looked really cool, but the other sort of big thing that occurs in anime series quite frequently is eventually you just get a bit, a whole bunch of reused footage. And we did get some of that in the last episode as well. But in this case, Andy, when we started getting like two or three flashback sequences in the space of like the first 10 minutes of the episode, I thought, 
are you guys running behind on production? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I mean, I thought that, but in the context, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, yeah, like, th- there is some genuine reasoning you can have to be like, hey, some important stuff happened in those episodes. If, you know, I don't know, the kids were on the school trip or something and missed it, like, you need to be filled in on it. So there is a legitimate reason for it. I will also say the animation did get kind of ropey in these episodes as well. So I think both things can be true. There can be some value to having these recap bits, but there will probably also a, a bunch of very tired animators of like, can we just can we just show them Cybertron blowing up again? Because like we animated that bit pretty well. Yeah, they spent all their time on that probably. Yeah, probably. exactly. <laughs> it's also worth noting that to kind of reinforce this, a narrator is saying some bits of dialogue, but regarding Rodimus, he specifically says... Rodimus has handed over duties to Fortress and set off in search of a new home. So, we'll see if that maintains a story later on, if he ever gets mentioned again. <laughs> I'm fully expecting we will never hear his name again now. Yeah, yeah he's going to spend the rest of the series trying to get a mortgage for his new home, I imagine. <laughs> uh, on the notion of will Rodimus return, Wheelie asks that question, and RC responds with, Yes, I'm sure he will. <laughs> Daniel says, He will, won't he? And RC responds with, of course. Wheelie, act like a man and show some spirit. (laughs) (laughs) RC, it's like, we talked about it in the last episode, Andy. I surmised of RC going, no, don't leave me here with these two. You can't. And this is the first indication in this episode that RC is going to be like, oh, I've got to take care of you two children now, haven't I? For crying out loud. But she ain't taking no crap, which is great. Yeah, yeah. She's put up with Wheelie for like literally 30 seconds and she's always already just like, oh, just man up and just like man up and go away. And to to add to the emotion, Chrome Dome arrives and informs them that a party is about to start. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) <laughs> this absolutely destroyed me because we were having this this slow moment. And the thing is, it's not even as if, like... Well, even if there was context, like, if you're planning a party and then, like... If we were planning a party and then Earth blew up and then, I don't know, like, all the world's leaders went off to find a new home, it wouldn't be like, so, yeah, Christmas, um, you know. You'd have a bit of, of decorum and a bit of a moment to re- sit and reflect so yeah, the the absolute kind of juxtaposition of everything we've just seen, Wheelie crying, just only be like, so about the party then, like with no other context as to what this party is about, and it's like, okay, I guess, but I, I guess once the boss is gone, like why not just have a party on work time? But you know, yeah, part of me was thinking, are they gonna like celebrate the home that was Cybertron? Are they celebrating Fortress being leader? Is, is, he lit- is it literally all just gone to his head? I am yeah. leader now. And we're having a party. And I feel like that's not explicitly explained one way or the other, because there is an announcement at this party, as we will get to, but I still got the intimation that that was not the reason for the party, that there is some other reason for this party. So maybe it's Ultra Magnus's birthday. I mean, we never <laughs> we never did really find out when Ultra Magnus's birthday was, so maybe actually it turned out it was today in a, in a very unfortunate sequence of events. It's funny you mentioned Ultra Mags. I'm just going to deviate for a second, but I was going to bring this up later. Remember how in the last podcast we were discussing, like, which, like, in essence, OG G1 Transformers are left, like, circa movie time? We totally forgot Ultra Magnus in our discussion. Yeah, yeah, no, he is is still kicking around. I mean, yeah, like, it's almost canonical that we forgot him, so it kind of makes sense. (laughs) Of which I will also add, Wheelie's reaction to the news that that the party is about to start is simply... I can't stand parties. 
Yeah, I mean, again, that was I like I was just about recovering my composure after the whole. Hey, the party, and then yeah, Wheelie's just deadpan. I don't like parties, which as <laughs> as we will come to discover is not strictly true. We cut to said party, of which it's in a sort of a room that's been redesigned in a way like a grand ballroom. There's like a faux chandelier and stuff, where Fortress has Spike by his side and announces the following. Quote, I'm happy to tell you that we have finished fitting the final components to the energy satellite Solar One. And there is, and then at that point, Andy, there is that what I will describe as the most Autobot human equivalent of a golf clap and fake cheering you've ever heard <laughs> yeah which i mean again that is understandable it's like our planet's just blown up and great you've made a satellite well done what you know have a medal <laughs> of which quick point of reference the tf wiki refers to this satellite solar one as being called soul one s-o-l one because in Japanese pronunciation, that's kind of how it's pronounced. But in the subtitles that, that were on our DVD, it is Solar One. So we are going to call it that. But just point of reference, should that be technically wrong and such. Mm, yeah. But I continue. And, and I mean, I, I do wish that it was called Soul One because that's a far more interesting name than just Solar One. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, and, and, and again, I mean, that, that becomes an a important quote unquote plot point in itself a little bit later on. But... Spike then says, in one week's time, we will launch Solar One from the Earth. The launch represents the successful cooperation between the Earth and Cybertron. Which I'm then thinking, Spike, too soon, mate. Yeah, you know? a little unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> maybe nobody's told him yet. Like, maybe he's like, why is everyone so unhappy? I don't, like, what's, why, why the long faces, guys? It's not like Cybertron's blown up. And I'm just like, shh, Spike, no. <laughs> Spike's just like, you know, how am I the last to know? You know, <laughs> after all I've done. <laughs> we then cut to seemingly a few minutes later at the party where Wheelie is hungry. And he is eating what I've written down, Andy, as Energon bite-sized cubes at an alarming rate. Leading to the following dialogue exchange. RC coming in saying, Wheelie, overeating is bad for you. Wheelie says, but I'm in great shape. <laughs> best comeback and then rc then perfectly on the ball here playing the part of the viewer most likely like us just goes and who was saying they hated parties before <laughs> rc's awesome <laughs> yeah rc's great i i also i feel like i should have gone back and like watched this with the magnifying glass i feel like i saw daniel drinking energon in these scenes oh i did not look out for that and because he was definitely like he 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 drinks and consumes stuff throughout these scenes. I feel like I saw him drinking Energon, which I have a lot of questions about. One of which, obviously, as we know, Energon is like alcohol to Transformers, but like, what does it do to humans? Like, I no matter which way you spin it, I'm not sure. Like, drinking Energon is a good idea for humans, and probably especially not for human children. So, like, I, I may have misseen it. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was. Lilt, now known as Pineapple Fanta or whatever it is, but I thought I saw him drinking Energon. Maybe it was Energon Squash. <laughs> it was like, like a drop, drop of cordial in there or something. Yeah, it's like Energon Free Energon. Like you have like <laughs> alcohol free beer. It's just like Energon Free Energon just for, just for Daniel. Speaking of the Energon wine, which is also how the TF Wiki described it when I had a quick gander, with all of that flowing, the revelry begins. 
and a slightly inebriated hardhead just badges Twincast to start getting the karaoke on. Of which, hardhead begins singing his karaoke song of choice. I'm going to be honest, Andy, it had not crossed my mind, what song might he sing? Is that going to be like, perhaps like, I don't know, some kind of little ditty that we don't know about that maybe they learnt on Planet Master? I, I should have just expected it would have been the opening theme to this show. Yeah, that that is the most like anime thing that it, it always happens in anime. If characters go to karaoke, they sing like their own theme song or their own character song. I was kind of hoping that you'd bust out the touch, but maybe that was asking a bit much. <laughs> I imagine there's some some music rights issues there. Um, but yes, of course he does. And again, this was just I was really enjoying the start of this episode as just pure comedy. I I will say like from the whole just like fact that there's a party onwards. Everything about this was just cracking me up and, and just hardheads going for karaoke, of course. Of course this was going to happen. Which, when you think about it, it, it actually makes sense to have a complete dichotomy of tone from where we were at the end of the last episode. While it is quite a tonal shift, it does actually make sense in very many ways to sort of be that palate cleanser. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you probably kind of have to, again, like, you know, kids cartoon and all of that you can't really get too deep in like you know let's consider all the people that died in the last episode it's like now nah, we'll just do some karaoke <laughs> this will be this will work better now at this point going back to drinking energon wine wheelie wheelie drinks some energon wine and not only does he kind of have a bit of a moment he basically short circuits and collapses but nobody cares not even rc not who even at that us. point <laughs> Who at that point, Chrome Dome comes along and effectively asks Arcee if she'll dance with him. And then he kind of says in response to her asking, you can dance? He just says, I can dance better than Hardhead can sing. <laughs> a low bar to clear, but uh, <laughs> clear, clear nonetheless it was. Which again, I mean, the, the whole wheelie getting drunk thing, that's also one of those kind of really... I, I don't... I, Clearly, somebody must have looked about, looked at the rules about this because, like, anime often runs into this thing where it wants to have characters getting drunk, but because they're like underage, they have to make the whole joke of like, "Oh no, I've just gotten drunk off of soft drinks. Like, I'm just high on caffeine or whatever." Yeah, it's like having um, a sugar rush, and then they have a sugar yeah, rush. Yeah, yeah, and they always have to kind of make it very clear, like, "Oh no, no, not drunk, drunk." Um, I guess Energon doesn't count. <laughs> in in terms of these uh, like TV regulations, it's like now nah, you can get drunk on Energon. That's fine. <laughs> and so concludes the party scene. At which point we cut to Planet Char, where Sound Blaster reports to his colleagues, that being Cyclonus, Decepticon Headmasters, Scourge, Six Shot, that they've been unable to find Galvatron following the Cybertron explosion. Sixshot said that he's disappeared following the explosion, though Scourge finds that hard to believe. Well, sorry, finds it hard to believe that he may have been destroyed along with Cybertron. Which I get to a point, because the amount of stuff that Galvatron has survived, quite frankly, it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility, but a planet exploding, hmm, not sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, all, all bets are off. Like, you know, he he was thrown out of Unicron, like, halfway across the galaxy and landed in some lava, and he seemed to actually quite enjoy that. So, I mean, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, dis destruction of a planet is, you know, not not, not really, not, not a big deal for him. Continuing on. Yes, we must assume he is not returning, says an ominous voice off-screen, 
that begins and is that begins an evil laugh shortly after as the lights in the room suddenly dim and then there in front of them is a silhouette of galvatron in the corner scourge and cyclonus are delighted and are going to go and greet their leader but sound blaster puts his arm in front of them holds them back and basically tells them i'm i'm scanning his voice patterns that's not galvatron at which point the silhouette suddenly disappears. We get a few flashes of light. And then the camera pans down to the ground to show a smaller silhouette of a character. It's Zarak. <laughs> what, what a troll. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's still Zarak in his shadowy presence, mind you. Except now, for the first time, which I'm slightly confused at, Andy, we appear to have a sense of scale as to the physical appearance of Zarak, which is very confusing based on what we have seen prior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he is still a man of mystery, so who can say what his actual form is? Uh, I mean, again, I, I continue to really enjoy this very slow ramp-up of reveals around him. Like, you know, by the end of these episodes we're talking about, we get a few little glimpses of maybe why he wants all this energy... And, you know, it's it, it's really fun. Um, but, yeah, it also had, plays kind of fast and loose with its own reveals in terms of, like, well, wait, I'm not actually sure, but, like, what we're looking at, how tall he is. Like, I don't know. It's probably, like, his Tinder profile probably says he's, like, seven foot and he's not. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> at this point, Zarak says that... Galva basically goes, Galvatron is not dead. But I can't reveal his location because Galvatron himself has told me not to do so. So therefore, I am now Deputy Commander of the Decepticons. And you will obey me, quote-unquote, as though they were from Lord Galvatron. That being being in relation to any orders specifically from him. And I'm, I, I, I really like this in terms of, like, Xerax clearly, like up to something here but it's kind of crazy like nobody calls him out on this because it's like well how galvatron didn't know the planet was gonna blow up like how could he have told you like he's disappeared completely again how could he have told you any of this stuff like it doesn't really make much sense um but uh, i i get i guess zarak is, is at least sort of commanding enough that he can somehow like pull this off yeah, and I will add to that now, Andy, because we then cut outside this building on Char, and unsure about this development in general, Cyclonus and Scourge sort of get Sound Blaster to one side, and they're basically trying to figure out from Sound Blaster, can we trust, can we trust Zarak? I nearly called him Scorponok, sorry. But then Sound Blaster just responds with, I am Lord Galvatron's representative. You have no choice but to believe it. And Scourge and Cyclonus themselves are still like, what? <laughs> Which is what I was like. But there's part of me that actually wonders now, given how Galvatron basically had a proper moment with Sound Blaster in the last episode, when he was just like, what have you done for me? I've got to go and sort this out. And just proper, like, had a, had a tantrum at him. That's the word I was thinking of. It makes me wonder if Sound Blaster is st starting to be a little bit more independent in his general way of being compared to what we've seen both in the series so far as Sound Blaster, but also prior as Soundwave. 
Mm. I mean, there's also kind of a more general, like, the Decepticons have always, as a whole, been very individually self-serving, and mm. they will do whatever kind of lets them get ahead. So you could kind of imagine, you know, I mean, yeah, we've seen that with like the likes of Scourge, etc., like during previous seasons of the show. Um, you, you can kind of imagine that even if Sound Blaster is not convinced himself, would just be like, well... Maybe I can use this to my advantage and take control ultimately. I mean, you know, in, in Transformers the movie, he puts himself up as the potential like successor to Megatron as well. So it's, it's not it's not as if he is without ambition. So yeah, you can you can never tell with those Decepticons what they're up to. Meanwhile, at the Solar System Center on Earth, says the narrator, which that's a phrase to say in a half hand. I'll tell you that. <laughs> We then see on Earth the Headmasters, Autobots that is, train bots, Daniel and Wheelie are all present for the launch of Solar One, leading to the following dialogue exchange. Daniel saying, Wow, the solar satellite Solar One. What a cool name, eh, Wheelie? Wheelie responds, Uh, Daniel, what does solar mean? Daniel responds with, Um... Well, uh, it, it, it means... And then Chrome Dome comes to save the day just by going, Solar means the sun. Daniel's response, The sun? Chrome Dome elaborates by saying, The Solar One is blasted into space. It collects solar energy and beams it to Earth. The energy is stored at the Solar System Center on Earth. And as he's saying this, we the viewer are kind of seeing imagery of what we hope will happen with this rocket launch no it doesn't happen of the rocket launching and the satellite doing its thing suddenly it's like chrome dome has the transformers equivalent of spider-man's spider sense going off as he could feel something is off in the room he looks at the ceiling he analyzes one tile of the ceiling somehow could see through the ceiling and sees a cassette tape there and immediately begins firing because they've been infiltrated again. <laughs> Which, Andy, quite frankly, is a recurring theme on both sides at this point, it's got to be said. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is... this is It, it, it happens so often, it can't even go on the bingo card anymore. Um, but I, I do feel like... I mean, to be fair, we do, we do get a bit of Laserbeak later, later on, but I do feel like Laserbeak might be out of a job here because, like, Ratback can actually turn himself uh, invisible. So, you know, it's sort of... It, it, it's, it's a definite upgrade. Like, it's not the usual just like, oh, why is there a cassette tape on my shoulder? Like we had at some point in, like, in the, the, G, the, the previous G1 continuity. At least it's like, well, no, he actually made himself invisible. Like, that's, that's a pretty good bit of stealth right there. As you mentioned, it was Ratbat who ultimately escaped through a window. Where we cut back to Char shortly after, and we see that Ratbat and Soundblaster report to Zarak the news of the impending launch of Solar One. The shadowy Zarak, sitting in his chair, is clutching at a glass of Energon wine, and his response to this news is simply to crush it, and the Energon wine just drips down his hand. And my first thought was, you guys clearly aren't that hard up now if you can waste wine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Me Megatron would not have would not have gone for that option, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we then cut once again to Scourge and Cyclonus outside milling about, leading to the following dialogue exchange. Cyclonus. Sound Blaster's a real sycophant. Scourge says, I can't bear him. Cyclonus responds, however, if we don't prove our worth, 
will be licked by Zarak. Scourge says, leave it to me. I have an idea. Now, I just want to clarify something, Andy. I did say we'll be licked by Zarak. That was the subtitle on the DVD. I did yeah. have to double check a few times. Yes, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they do mean licked in, in the sense of we will be beaten up by him or defeated yeah. by him. <laughs> Clearly not. Although, I mean, who can say? We don't know enough about Zarak yet. Maybe that's... <laughs> like, maybe there is, like, an HR issue on Char of just, like, look... This Sarah, he just keeps going around licking people. I've made I've made a complaint, but they've not done anything about it. So, you know, we, we can never be totally sure. Who's who is Decepticon HR at this point? I mean, who would yeah, who would be good like Decepticon HR? It's probably like Rumble or something. This is completely <laughs> useless. I don't know. I see I probably would have gone with Cyclonus at first, but he's in a bit of a tough spot in that case yeah yeah no i mean yeah so, so, so cyclonus would, would definitely be be up for that kind of job i i imagine cyclonus and scourge then head to earth and recruit the predacons for an attack on the solar one launch site so that they can destroy the satellite and improve their standing in zarak's eyes now i'm not going to go through the whole conversation but during the conversation this little exchange takes place which i did like i did quite enjoy Cyclonus says, where has Sickshot gone? And Razor Claw of the Predacons responds with, I don't know. He often disappears. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a ninja, don't you know? Exactly. That's literally what they said after. But it's just a fun little thing of like, yeah, he just disappears. It's his thing. <laughs> yeah. I would also say, this 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 show really enjoys the Predacons. Like, we get we get a lot of the Predacons in this. So. I <laughs> approve. Sometimes it feels like more than the, the Decepticon Headmasters. But, but that's probably a little unfair. Do you know why, Andy? It's because the Predacons are cool. Oh, yeah, they are. And, I mean, again, they, they were probably, you know, they, they were sort of the, the big gestalts of that time in terms of, you know, the toys you're trying to sell. Remember when Devastator was cool, though? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Poor Devastator. Remember, remember when Trypticon was a thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've not seen Trypticon at all. He probably fell in, fell in a body of water again, I imagine. I think he did. Did he not fall off into a ravine in one Probably. of the earlier episodes? I mean, he did. He's done that a lot. I've kind of lost track of whether he's in <laughs> submerged or not at this point. So, but now as they are leaving, that being Cyclonus Scourge and the Predacons, it turns out that Sixshot was there all along, but cloaked because he's a ninja, and he appears to us, the viewer, and muses to himself, ah, "They never listen." Now. Fast forwarding a little bit to the attack by said Decepticons, their attack is anything but subtle, and they are met with resistance in the form of the combined train bots, that being Raiden, who battles Predaking, while the headmasters take on Cyclonus and Scourge. Now, as you can probably imagine at this point, given their role in, in this particular incarnation of Transformers, Cyclonus and Scourge are just made to look like clowns, whereas Predaking actually holds its own pretty blooming well, ultimately succumbing to a combined Raiden and Autobot Headmaster attack. So, like you said, Andy, Predaking getting some good love and showing here. Yep, yep, in indeed he is. But yeah, th this was also like a fight scene that was just like, I feel like early in this season, like I, I commented on how good some of the fight scenes were because they're not just like pew pew lasers across a ravine or something and like this isn't they continue the lots of hand-to-hand -hand combat and you know it's, it's all a little bit pro wrestling um but this definitely felt a bit more ropey in terms of animation than than we've had in previous episodes so yeah th this certainly lent into my like oh yeah they may be already like running a bit behind schedule here because it feels like some corners have been cut 
And that said, though, I've got to say, I really liked the fights that we got across both of the episodes we're talking about today. There was some really good fighting at some points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, later in this episode, there's sort of there's a fight that that feels better and better animated than than this one. So yeah, it's not it's not it's not all bad. And even this, like, it's it's still better than a lot of season three fare. Um, uh, and you know, and and it, and it and it puts across what it wants to. Like, it's not like it's a complete mess. It's just not quite you know not quite as on point as some of the better moments in in those early eps. Solar One successfully launches and immediately begins absorbing energy when it is in position in orbit. We then go inside Mission Control at the, the, the Space Center, I can't remember its full name at this point because it's difficult to say, where Chrome Dome is randomly being interviewed on TV about this launch and is asked, should, should humans be worried about the Decepticons? Which he responds with, quote-unquote, There's no need for concern. Solar One is a symbol of unity between Cybertron and Earth and the Headmasters will give their lives to protect it. Let's see if that comes to fruition later on, folks. <laughs> Just saying. Back on Char, it turns out that the satellite launching is exactly what Zarak was desiring. Some dialogue from him. According to my calculations, this satellite can store 10 to the power of 15 megawatts of solar energy per day. Then, despite some confusion from the Decepticon headmasters, specifically Mindwipe and Skullcruncher, about how much energy that actually is and how the heck you even calculate it, Weird Wolf says that if they can steal the satellite, quote-unquote, we can input the energy into Zarak's body. The evil laugh of Zarak responding to that indicates that's exactly what he wanted to hear from his fellow comrades, and the Decepticon headmasters head out accordingly to steal the satellite. The Autobots are immediately aware of the Decepticons heading towards the satellite and proceed to try and launch a counter-attack, but are thwarted because at Athenia HQ, Sixshot appears and just begins attacking them. Of which, Andy, this is the point in the show where I said to myself, ah, this is your we-need-to-have-an-advert-for-the-Sixshot toy again, don't we? How many transformations <laughs> can we do in the space of 30 seconds? Yep, yep. I mean, it's uh, you, you can't knock them for making good good use of that. You know, if if you've got if you've got a character that can transform into six different things, be be remiss of you not to use at least a few of them. The one where he transforms into like a wolf is still a really random one, though. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it really is. <laughs> because of all of this, the Solar One satellite is captured by the Decepticons, and in the process of fighting with Sixshot. Chrome Dome gets knocked down by a laser shot as well and is injured. The Autobot headmasters inside their HQ immediately think that the satellite is being taken to Char, but Fortress disagrees and revealed and revealed, excuse me, that he has been tracking where it is going. We then fast forward a little bit, seemingly there was probably a commercial break or something in between that in Japan, and Fortress traces Solar One's signal which was moving at high speed thanks to rockets attached to the satellite by the Decepticons. A smart move, Andy. I thought that was a very clever way by their standards of moving a giant satellite through space. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we've already had an upgrade from, like, Galvatron-era Decepticons where it would have just been, ah, just blow it up. I don't know. <laughs> then the narrator says the following. Fortress calculates Solar's course and locates its exact position. The stolen satellite is headed towards coordinates XY0-876, away from planet Char, to a body of gas in a black nebula. 
the Autobots then the Autobots then track it down. Sorry, that end of quote I should say. End quote. The Autobots then track it down, but have no idea what to expect. Despite RC saying that he needs to rest after being injured, Chromedome says that he made a promise to the people of Earth and must return the satellite. And I've made a note, Andy, that this is kind of our second subtle indication of the episode here that uh, that Chromedome and RC may be a thing long-term in this series because there was a very prominent moment where those two were just staring at each other and like the hand-holding moment. And I thought, yep, yeah, Springer, you've lost out. Assuming you're still alive, Springer, but you've lost out. Yeah, I mean, I even when the whole dancing thing happened earlier, I, I did spare a thought for Springer and being like, I wonder what's Springer doing these days? Like, is, <laughs> is he alive? Like, I don't know. Like, he has very much disappeared off the scene. The Autobot headmasters arrive at the coordinates mentioned a few moments ago to find that it's been defended by the Decepticon headmasters because that is actually just where the satellite is effectively, just outside this nebula. The headmasters appear, but position themselves very smartly in front of the satellite, meaning the Autobots can't actually just fire lasers at it because the thing will explode. And based on a sort of a little vision of what could happen, Andy, sort of style flash forward as opposed to a flashback, it implies it's going to be a mighty explosion. Yeah, yeah, which seems fair. I mean, having already blown up a planet last episode, I guess there's probably not much appetite for big explosions currently. I do wonder if we now need to add a new thing to our, like, mystical bingo card of just big thing explodes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, they do seem to enjoy animating explosions on this show, so <laughs> it's always a possibility. As the two sides clash, the energy stored within the satellite begins beaming to another location. The narrator chimes in and says the following, quote, The energy collected by Satellite Solar One has been transferred to Planet Zarak, end quote. And as, this, and as the narrator's voice is saying this, we see a silhouette of a giant shadowy body inside a factory of sorts, implying, quite frankly, Andy, uh, uh, well, a potential extra crucial detail about the character of Zarak, that he's a headmaster himself, which we never really got an indication of until this episode when he was suddenly shrunk down very early on. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of wild when you think about it, because, like, obviously, you know, anyone who's any sort of, like, Transformers fan of, of any sort of vintage kind of knows the Zarak Scorponok thing, most likely, and, you know, you, you know what's coming and you know what's happening here. Um, but, like, if you consider a world where maybe you didn't, like, we're 11 episodes in and we're only just starting to get any kind of visibility on who and what Zarak actually is. And, you know, because there's also, like, this general thing of, like, he's kind of just this little dude that's hanging out with the Decepticons. And it's like, well, why is he wielding all of this power and, you know, seemingly is, is sort of moving all these pieces on the chessboard and now we're kind of starting to see why and also why he is doing this stuff so yeah it's a pretty i really like that as a reveal i think it's really cool mm. now quick point of note here andy and i haven't actually looked into this massively so if it turns out it's something different we might have to figure this out we potentially have a bit of a weird naming convention here because obviously in the context of literal translation of Japanese headmasters the character we are referring to as Zarak as we've talked before is called Scorponok mm. and based on 
let's call it like this. Based on other things that occur in the franchise in other, like, regions, we know that ultimately there is a giant thing called Scorponok. Yes. And so the question then sort of comes then of, technically should this planet be called Scorponok? But from my very quick musings, it looks like it's very much intended to be called Planet Zarak. So... I think we're going to stick with that, but I haven't seen any information to say otherwise. Yeah, and I felt like most of the kind of Transformers continuities sort of go down that same route, that Zarek is kind of the powerhouse and Scorponok is really just the super powerful body that he has either made for himself or whatever. So it, it kind of, I, I think that still adds up that Zarek is kind of, you know, the the brains of the outfit both literally and figuratively here yeah so just to put that out there folks whenever we refer to this planet unless it is ultimately called something different and we find out we're just going to call it planet zarak and we'll try and make the very clear delineation of that as well as yeah, we go along I, I also look forward to when we get to the the english dub where it's probably called like planet frank or something I could try and find out now if you want to know. I mean, we we should we should save that that treat okay. for later. <laughs> Make sure you remind me, and I'll try and look it up. All right. <laughs> so at this point, this is where some of the action I was alluding to earlier. This is where we get some of it because there is some good space fighting here, Andy. We get the like bit of dog fighting. We just get some good one on one combat. Really, really fun fighting, albeit perhaps the odd animation bit going awol. But they even fight on top of the satellite as well. I think it was like Weird Wolf or one of the head, the Decepticon headmasters, just outright, just stabbing the satellite with a sword. Which I'm thinking, Zarak won't be happy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's that, that that'll be coming off of his wages at the end of the month, I suspect. <laughs> but yeah, again, this is this is the kind of thing that that I do like. You know, animation aside, about the action scenes in this series is that they are more dynamic um and even just in terms of making good use of the locations where they take place you know they're, they're far more interesting to to watch visually than than what the the g1 cartoon the u.s cartoon brought us yeah from just the, just a general composition point of view it's far more dynamic and it's really good fun yeah at this point the decepticon headmasters warn the autobots that if they try and move solar one they the Decepticons, will destroy Solar One telepathically. Which, even the Autobots are like, you what? <laughs> yeah, I, I I like this because, yeah, like as a viewer, you have no idea whether this is a bluff or not either, because we've seen some weird telepathy stuff from the Headmasters, like forged in the fires of planet master or whatever and it's like you know wh whatever you think about that as a, as a plot point or a, like a lazy way of getting around something like it's there it's in the canon now it's like okay there's telepathy stuff they can do and it's like yeah maybe the decepticon headmasters can do a psychic beam thing i don't know like that seems potentially feasible mm -hmm. um and yeah like the autobot headmaster having exactly the same thing of like We've never heard about this, but then nobody's heard about our psychic power thing, so maybe they have a psychic power thing as well. It's a really good, like, bluff, bluff and double bluff, basically. Mm. At this point, with that information in mind, and not knowing if it's true or not, Chrome Dome is very conflicted because he promised Earth, and also likely because for the second time in recent memory, the Decepticons have left him with no other choice than but to make a singular choice. Chrome Dome just says, 
damn it, we've been used by them. We'll just have to blow it up. At this point, the Autobot Headmasters set four bombs on the satellite, which... I don't know if this was intentional, Andy, but this was a strange, weirdly kind of... Almost like a homage to the previous episode, where it was the Decepticons that set the bombs, destroying something very important. And this time, it's the Autobots having to do it. And it's something kind of crucial. So... There's kind of a weird callback to that in a strange way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is. Again, I think it's just the animators rubbing their hands. Like, Great, we get an explosion again. We like animating <laughs> explosions. Now, at first, Andy, and I don't think it is this way, but when... The, I'm sorry, I should just say, folks, the satellite explodes. Boom. <laughs> so when the dust settles, the way... We get to see planet Zarak sort of for the first time, like as in what it is... But the way it came across to me was I thought the explosion had, like, removed the nebula gas cloud out the way. I don't think it actually has, based on what we see later on and the next episode. But either way, we get our first glimpse of planet Zarak. And my first thought was, that feels really familiar. Because it did have a tinge of a bit of Cybertron to it. It's clearly a planet that has kind of almost been terraformed with metal on top of it, is how I've described it. You might be able to figure out a better way of elaborating it, but it did feel oddly familiar while also not being at all like Cybertron at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's your sort of typical kind of Transformers-esque planet kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's still an interesting kind of choice, you know, because we've, we've had Transformers hanging out on various other planets. And again, the whole deal with the Autobot headmasters, it was a very organic planet that they, they hung out on for two million years or whatever it was um so yeah yeah i i don't know whether anything will really come of of that but yeah it's it's, it's an interesting design it's, pro- it's probably just like another like concept art for cybertron that they had kicking around they're like oh well we can use that now we've blown up actual cybertron so here we go <laughs> We also get an opportunity to see more of the surface of the planet, and then we zoom in a lot further into the location of this giant robot body that's still got its own shadowy veil, but we hear the familiar evil laugh of Zarak in the background. Having blown up the satellite, the Autobots return to Athenia, where they're really disheartened over what they had to do. You know, they, they lied to the people of Earth. They didn't protect it. They didn't give their lives, Andy, which I'm adding as a note here, despite what Chrome Dome said. He lied to the people of Earth. Yeah, that's why you've you got to be careful with your hyperbole. But Spike assures them that they did the right thing and the relations between the Autobots and Earth will remain undamaged. Spike clearly had got the memo not to refer to it as Cybertron at this point. <laughs> And that, quite simply, he just adds, and we'll begin designing a new satellite. It's all good. Yeah, just make solar too. It's fine. (laughs) The narrator then says, Daniel's father, Spike, has raised the spirits of the headmasters. Commander Fortress, though, senses something terrible is about to happen. And then the episode concludes with us, the viewer, looking on at the Black Nebula. It was at this point when I thought, oh, the, the, the gas cloud has not been removed. All right, that was just the thing. And Zarak's laugh can be heard. And then on screen, very it's difficult to see, but you've got to look closely. They kind of have 
a very, very dark, transparent silhouette of whatever the heck this giant robot body is going to be appearing before us, and we fade to black, and that classic ending theme tune begins very, very suddenly and quite tonally shifting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've got to be like, I mean, I, I was... When they, they, they did the whole, like, uh, fortress, you know intuits that something terrible is about to happen i just kind of want to splice that together with like wheelie drinking energon wine again <laughs> and just be like yeah he's found he's found the booze again <laughs> so from there good search we move on to some some tf wiki trivia notes as it were yeah let's see, yeah, let's, let's see, let's see what, what else we can dissect from this continuity notes transformers becoming inebriated and passing out after overindulging on Energon, as Wheelie does in this episode, was previously seen in the episode Microbots. If you've not seen that before, folks, go and watch it. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Y you could also hear our, our discussion about that in the podcast archive, so feel free to go wild on that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm also glad that of, of all the things that have been, like, taken into or jettisoned from Transformers canon from those earlier series, that was one that they clearly drew a line of just like, no, we're keeping that in. Like, <laughs> you can still get drunk off of Energon, because that's fun. Someone went, at some point, we're gonna need this. Yeah. <laughs> the Headmaster's telepathic powers seen previously in the episodes Birth of the Fantastic Double Prime and Cybertron is in Danger Part 2 are mentioned again in this episode. As we mentioned, the the song which Hardhead sings is the show's closing theme, Kimiwa Transformer. Oh, it's actually the closing theme, or well, not the opening. I think I yes, said the opening. Yeah, in yeah, I, I realise, yeah, it's, it's the ending theme. Uh, trivia. Ratbat can use his eyes to project images. That is actually true. We didn't actually mention that, but when he was doing his report of what he had discovered with Sound Blaster next to him, he was almost being used as like a projector screen, which I thought was a really cool little feature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I feel like had maybe actual technology been more advanced in like the 80s, maybe they would have made like a rat bat toy that you could actually use as a little mini projector. But sadly, that was probably several decades too early to do anything like that. <laughs> First Aid, Perceptor, and Pipes must have had a day off, as RC is shown to be repairing Chrome Dome. Yeah, because I had that thought of, like, this would normally be, like, a Ratchet or a Wheeljack thing, like, but I guess they don't have anybody else to do it. But, yeah, I completely forgot that, yeah, they have Perceptor and First Aid, who could both handily do that stuff. Humanity previously explored orbiting solar collector satellites in Attack of the Autobots. They did, because that was the one where uh, it was Bumblebee that had to save the day because all the Autobots like got turned evil for an episode, didn't they? Yes, yeah, that was that was the one, yeah. I, there's, and it was Prime like cutting through with his arm through an airplane or something. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, he wrecked that airport, yeah. That was an <laughs> expensive day. Um, yeah, like, I, I mean, they're always messing around with satellites and Transformers. It is hard <laughs> to keep tabs at some point. Right, Andy, here we go. Foreign localization. Are you ready for this? Always. Right, first of all, do you want me to look up what the name of Zarak is? I'll see if there's a note about this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's probably... We're probably going to end up being disappointed. I'm just hoping that it was, like, Planet Clive. That's all, that's all I want. Uh, I... Hmm. Okay. <laughs> the reason I'm doing that is because I'm confused by this note. But I'm just going to say this. There are two notes regarding how what the planet is named in the Omni Productions dub. Okay. 
there's no context to it other than the fact it seems to be like they mislabeled it at two different points in the series. At one point, the planet is called Sarah. <laughs> oh, I wasn't that far off. Then. <laughs> and the other far. one is Jolo. I mean, Jolo's a pretty good planet name. I'll, I'll, <laughs> they should probably just stuck with that one. I mean, what were they doing? I, like, this, is, this, this is a broader question, I realise. But like, seriously, when they, when they were trying to figure out names with this stuff, what were they doing? Were they drinking, so, were they drinking the energy on wine? So uh, apparently, I can't remember where I read this, and I meant to mention it on a podcast previously, but it wasn't an apt time to mention it. Apparently, of the three T- Takara series, I'll call them the Omni, the you know Omni Productions did the dub of. Apparently, they did Headmasters last, and the first one was actually Super God Master Force, then Victory, and then they did Headmasters. So maybe it got to the point of like we're done with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or maybe 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 it's even, maybe the other series were even worse. I don't know. <laughs> we, we may find out one day, folks. Maybe, well, let's get to the end of this one first. <laughs> So, foreign localization. Apparently, the Omni Productions dub calls this episode King of Shadows, Scorponok. That's a pretty good... That, that sounds like a mobile game. That sounds like something you download on your phone and play. <laughs> it's like one of those adverts you get on YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, this game is so hard. Okay, here we go. So, in the Omni Productions dialogue script for this episode... Twincast is referred to as Platon. Hardhead was going to be referred to as Dobo, but was corrected with pen. <laughs> Soundblaster is referred to as Cytos, spelt C-I-T-O-S. He was previously identified as Puda and Bulada. Razorclaw is referred to as Lee <laughs> in the script. He had previously been Sogo. Oh, here we go, right. Despite Twincast being Platon a couple of pages ago, the shorthand for his name, Platt, is used to identify Shoki when he talks. Platt refers to the train bots as the scout unit. Yeah, I... I... (laughs) Look, whoever wrote this for the TF Wiki, fair play to you for somehow making a note of that. I'm totally lost, though. Yeah, I, I, I mean, as I suspect with the people like writing the script for this dub at this point. And uh, in case you're wondering, in the Omni Productions dub, the karaoke section is literally just the same Japanese song untranslated. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the classic. I, I, I mean, I sort of wish that they had gone to the effort of trying to write some kind of English song to go over it, but uh, I'm not surprised. Right, Shout Factory translations. Again, folks, we've been watching the Metrodome version, so we're now talking about the Shout Factory US subtitle version. The ep- Okay, so two bits here. The Shout Factory subtitle name for the episode is The Shadow Emperor Scorponok, but the Shout Factory menu name is Zarak the Shadow Emperor, as we've got it noted in our episode here. Okay, so Soul 1 is renamed to Solar 1. Thus, when Wheelie asks about the significance of the satellite's name, he gets the answer that Solar means Sun. The Solar System Center is also consistently renamed. <laughs> now, again, I, we mentioned that earlier, but clearly the Shout Factory subtitles were either influenced or changed up slightly from the version of the subtitles we're going by. That's mm, the only thing I can yeah. think of at this point. Yeah, yeah. 
Righty then, the alcohol and drunkenness references are slightly toned down in the Shout Factory subtitles, with the glowing drinks referred to as Energon goodies. And the Energon wine that Wheelie drinks is referred to as such. Alright. Zarak's position as acting emperor, quote-unquote, is translated as deputy commander. Okay, so that would imply then, in the original Japanese version, he was literally calling himself Emperor Scorponok, like, quite literally. Yeah, I mean, it, that feels like that makes more sense that he'd be, like, acting leader rather than deputy. I mean, yeah. that, that does feel like a better, a better interpretation of his role. Yeah. Sound Blaster makes a bizarre reference to being Galvatron's representative, himself and commands Cyclonus and Scourge to believe Scorponok's claim. The original simply has Sound Blaster being satisfied with Zarak being Galvatron's substitute and that they, Sound Blaster included, have no choice but to believe. Mm, yeah, eh, also, also makes well sense, honestly. Yeah. When Skull Cruncher tries to figure out what the 10 to the power of 15 thing means... The original script has him stupidly saying it's 15 times more powerful than a gun. The Japanese words for ten and gun are homophones, both pronounced as jo, I'm going to say, kind of spelt J-O, as it were. The subtitles have him fail at math by saying it's ten times fifteen. That is somewhat retained in the script we have on the 2004 circa... 2005 Metrodome DVD as well, Andy. Like, part of that. Not exactly, but part of that. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the gun word play, the, the whole Joe bit, is, is not in there. But yeah, the 10 times mm. 15 bit, certainly, I, I recall from it. Oh, and apparently, uh, in the Japanese script, Spike specifically names the next satellite to be built as Solar 2, or Sol 2, but that's not referenced in the subtitles. No, well, <laughs> we, we did it for them. There you go. There you go. Yes, that one. Uh, other foreign localization bits. First of all, Andy... Uh, in Russian, this episode was simply known as the Dark Emperor Scorponok. In Mandarin, uh, Mandarin, excuse me, it was the Shadow of Scorponok. Uh, in Spanish, Scorponok, King of Darkness. Pretty good. And in Italian, Scorponok, Lord of Shadows. Yeah, some some good some good ones in there. There we go, and that about wraps up that episode when it comes to notes and such. So, uh, any other things from the episode you wanted to know, Andy? Any other observations? Anything we may have just glossed over or missed? No, no, I think uh, I think that's it. Yeah, like it's a, a good, pretty, pretty good episode. Like in in terms of pivoting from ev all the the you know important events of the previous episode, like for for all of its goofiness of having a party, like it kind of ends up in a pretty interesting place where it's like, okay, we. We see what the the plan is. We see what Zarak is doing. We still don't know where Galvatron is, um, and so that's all kind of quite compelling stuff as, as you know, material for the series to be getting on with. Yeah, the other interesting part of that as well is like sort of a final discussion point is we don't actually know if Galvatron is dead or alive mm, no. because they're because they've added that like we sort of have talked about quite a bit now in this episode. Do you trust Zarak in what he's saying? And we've talked about that from various angles, but quite simply, do you trust the fact that Galvatron told him to be leader for a bit? Yeah. Like, yeah, did it, that actually happen? Because based on what we saw in the last episode, episode 10, that's not the case at all, because Galvatron was really, really annoyed at Zarak. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it is it is a nice thing that the series does is that it doesn't feel like it needs to nudge the viewer with everything to be like, well, actually, this isn't true. Like, I feel like they could have had a narrator moment there of just like, this is a lie, but they don't. They <laughs> kind of keep that powder dry of just like, maybe something did happen that we didn't see who knows it's yeah it's like the whole psychic beam thing likewise of just like yeah i don't know you you, you choose what to believe maybe this is real maybe this is not it is also nice that there are various elements of this show in general and i appreciate there are also elements of the show that are going to be the complete opposite of what i'm about to say but they do let you think on what you're being fed as it were they're not just giving you everything and they're, they're not it's a weird way to phrase it, but they're not treating you like you're stupid. Like, they, they want you to think about it and not just be told everything from the get-go. It's nice they're doing that. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is the classic thing that I feel like, you know, I think it's the reason why a lot of people get into anime. Because even though it's aimed at a younger audience, it does the same kind of thing. Like, it doesn't always feel the need to spoon-feed you with everything. It's quite happy to surprise you or, like you find out that something you thought you knew you did not know and so on and so forth. And yeah, it's kind of nice to see this series sort of carries that same kind of narrative swagger to it because um, it definitely sort of elevates it at important moments. From there, we advance to episode 12 of Transformers Headmasters. The dormant volcano mysteriously erupts. wonder, wonder what's going to happen in this one. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> Now, <laughs> I'm going to say this now, folks. You're going to hear me say something in a second. The name will change because that's what happens in the subtitle script. I'm just telling you. We begin at Autobot City, see where I'm going with this, on Earth, with the narrator saying, quote, At the Autobot Seismic Research Center on Earth... <laughs> I won't lie, Andy. I laughed a lot when I read that. It's like, when was this established? I mean, yeah, you can imagine that there's probably just some like little room in Autobot City that's just like, ah, I don't know, some, someone's into earthquakes a bit. So, you know, it's also the seismic research center. <laughs> but I digress, continuing with the quote, unusual seismic activity is recorded in the Andes Mountains. The Andes Mountain Range in South America covers approximately 6,750 kilometers, the longest range of mountains in the world. The source of the tremors lies below the Andes Mountains in Peru. I've got to say, Andy, I liked the fact they just they just gave you a mini info dump there. But for anyone, obviously, being aimed at kids who doesn't know this, that's genuinely interesting information. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I mean, you know, especially in the, the, this is from an age before Wikipedia. Like, you know, there's some this you can't just look this up online. So yeah, I enjoyed that. Also. We revisit. We were in Peru back in season one of like the US cartoon, right? Because wasn't it where they built that super weapon? Wasn't that also in Peru? Yes. I feel like we've been in Peru before, so there was a nice. I'm pretty sure there's no kind of continuity directly here, but it's like oh, we're in Peru again. We've been here before. Was that an episode with Skyfire in season one? One of the last ones, like Fire on the Mountain. Yes, Fire on the Mountain. That was the episode. Don't ask me where I pulled that out from. From like my my brain, everyone. But somehow yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that that's the one where they sent Skyfire in as the spy in, in the big <laughs> yes. temple when it's like they literally had like tiny little bumblebees. Like no will send Skyfire in to be the stealthy spy. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was because the, they built the, the super weapon that melted on top of the, the temple. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was Peru. Also, just to, just to deviate even more, Andy, 
we've not talked about Skyfire slash Jetfire in a very long time. It's fair to say at this point, given we're now in anime land, there's probably no way a Macross jet would have appeared in Transformers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine unless they'd somehow managed to secure a pretty impressive crossover that, yeah, he was probably the first to be written off in, of, uh, of being in this series. Now, during all of that explanation that we got about where this episode is going to be taking place, we, the viewer, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, everyone, that Ultra Magnus is still a character and is still present in this series, and that he and Scattershot are looking at readings on their computer screen in front of them. We then are in, we then center in specifically on a South American village known as Pan, P-A-N. At that moment in the village, we see a young orphan boy named Pipiro along with his donkey, Koro, entering the village after laying some flowers on his parents' grave. He returns to his home, where we come to find out he shares he shares his home, excuse me, with his sister, Alyssa, and her donkey, Dodo. All, all Pan's people, as I call them. <laughs> I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you don't understand that reference, you are way younger than me, so congratulations. <laughs> But another big seismic tremor occurs at this point. And also being noted by Pipiru's dialogue that it's sort of happening a lot more frequently. It's implying daily, but it says it's getting more regular. And it's putting the village and its people in danger as we see the ground just split around them and buildings starting to fall and all sorts. Then, the narrator says... Meanwhile, at the Autobot base on Athenia, everyone is examining the mysterious gas-enshrouded planet. Now, we're focusing again on planet Zarak at this point, and they zoom in on their picture of the nebula that is cloaking planet Zarak. And when they zoom in, kind of being con- contrary and contradictory to what we saw and we, the viewer, saw in the last episode, it kind of looks like we see a sil- silhouette of a giant large-scale city. But that aside, this immediately prompts Chrome Dome to just say, yep, this planet definitely belongs to the Decepticons. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if ever like a massive headquarters springs up anywhere overnight, you can always guarantee that it's the Decepticons because they continue to be incredibly good at, at, at very rapidly building bases. So, I've just got this vision now. We should just get like a video game and just build a base. Yeah, yeah, it's like Sim City, but it's Decepticon bases, and you know, oh, it just, like, takes, t- just takes two minutes, and then it's done. <laughs> At this point, in what I kind of thought was really cool, but also wow, that's like sending like a couple of your Transformers to the wolves. Twincast then deploys Steeljaw and Ramhorn, and just says, "Okay, go to Zarak and get some information." Yeah, I mean, to be fair, after like. 100 plus episodes have been like these tapes are really good at like sneaking in and doing spy stuff maybe we should try that like we've got some (laughs) tapes that we can send so you know i feel like this has taken a very long time for somebody to be like you know what that's not a bad strategy let's let's give it a try it only took blaster being annihilated and literally blown up and then being rebuilt as twin caster for that to happen Uh, twin cast excuse me (laughs) Now, simultaneously on Char, we see the shadowy figure of Zarak on a video call with Sixshot, emphasizing that he expects no more mistakes. And he then tasks Sixshot with, quote-unquote, turning Autobot's attentions on the Earth as much as possible in order to hide our movements on planet Zarak. 
We then cut to planet Zarak, inside a factory of sorts, where the narrator says, At a secret plant on planet Zarak, enslaved beast formers are forced to work on the construction of a giant robot. Now, during this, Andy, not only do we see the return of the beast formers to the show, which I thought we were never going to see them again, we also get the revelation that Octane, who we have not seen... I've got noted in my notes here, because I had to go digging for this. Since episode 20 of season 3, The Ultimate Weapon, and then shortly before that, the Starscream's Ghost episode. But Octane is alive, and is seemingly now good at his job, running a slave labour camp. Yeah, I mean, it would explain why we've not seen him in a while, I guess. And I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, Octane was not having a great time, I feel like, the last time we saw him. (laughs) So, you know, I suppose that's probably... That's probably the best job that they could find for him without laying him off. But what it also implies, Andy, is that the Beast Formers are having a hand, not of their own free volition, mind you, of actually constructing whatever this giant robot is going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once once again, I had a little like, oh yeah, the Battle Beasts, I remember them moments. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's another, another nice little, little jolt of nostalgia for me. If you're a first-time listener, folks, go back a few podcasts. You can hear the the entire revelation that was the Battle Beast discussion. <laughs> Indeed. Back on Earth, the following morning, we the viewer are told, the volcano near the village of Pan erupts and molten lava begins sweeping the land towards the village. We then see the protector bots and the train bots being scrambled for a very quick rescue mission. But elsewhere, Sixshot is watching them fly towards the village. And says to himself while looking on at the monitor, <laughs> Our strategy is working. The Autobots have fallen for my trick. I'll spin them around my little finger. <laughs> so at this point, not only have we now found out, yes, definitely the, De- the Decepticons are behind the volcanic eruption and, and the tremor, but also we see Sixshot dispatching the Predacons and the Decepticon headmasters to engage with the Autobots. We then get to see Raiden, the combined form of the Trainbots, fight Predaking. And uh, so this is a random note from me, Andy, but I wanted to make sure I note this. From the amount of times now we're seemingly getting, at the very least, little moments between them, are we to assume now that the Trainbots and the Predacons are actual rivals in this show now? I mean, I guess they're just biggest out robots that they want to show off on a regular basis because yeah i mean i I guess they're both newer than you know the protector bots etc so yeah i i feel like there's definitely an attempt much as you know i commented like we see quite a lot of the predacons in this series and they clearly there's a reason for that i think the train bots are kind of in the same vein of like while they've not been promoted in like cartoon continuity they were probably relatively new at the time of this so it does feel I don't know, maybe it's a weirdly sort of like western centric viewpoint because they've not they don't really appear otherwise in western media that they feel kind of shoehorned in to be like ah oh, we should get the train bots in here um but they they definitely yeah they definitely get brought to the forefront when it comes to the big robot battle bits of the show I mentioned that the protector bots were involved in this they were going to go elsewhere to help out the local villagers however they are ambushed in many ways by the Decepticon headmasters of which I did have a good chuckle at this Andy Mindwipe 
paralyzes Defensor, the combined form of the Protector bots, by using his wipe snake gun. <laughs> Just, I laugh at that name a heck of a lot. And this is while Pipiro and the rest of the villagers are watching on. Also, point of note, Andy, which it's really only kind of occurred to me in the last episode or so. The Decepticon Headmasters, like the three ones that we've seen, because at this point, heck knows what the heck Zarak is. But they're really freaking powerful because they're just taking on a team of five Transformers and most of the time, a team of four when it comes to the Headmasters, the Autobots. Yeah, and I, I feel like we've, yeah, we, we've seen this a few times through the series where like they are on paper outnumbered, but usually are at least hold their own. Like, I feel like it's one of the early episodes where like, yeah, they're, Again, I think they may be up against the protector bots or the aerial bots or somebody, and yeah, they they, they can do okay there. Um, so yeah, and again, and again, I mean this this is sort of quite nice compared to what we'd sometimes have with the US seasons of the cartoon, where you know you'd, you'd have like an episode or two of like, hey, look at this transformer, look how powerful they are, and then like a week later they'd be getting you know their ass handed to them by wheelie or cosmos or something um and you know it would kind of kind of ruin the whole thing but there is there is a, a a continuity as you would expect of a show called headmasters of at least making the headmasters look good whenever they possibly can although mind you you could argue the autobot headmasters less so given that they've been responsible for blowing up cybertron and a satellite in two episodes but i digress <laughs> So, as I just mentioned, the three Decepticon headmasters made short work of the Protector bots. They then go to help out Predaking, who at this point is being overpowered somewhat by Raiden. We then go back to Autobot HQ, where we see Ultra Magnus and Aerial Bot Silverbolt, who, I'm going to be honest, Andy, my first thought was, oh, they're alive. <laughs> From when there was like that, that bendy weird episode, but then I suddenly thought, we might have seen Superion again since then, but I've genuinely forgotten if we have. Yeah, we might have done, but yeah, I've got to admit because I I kind of thought you know for this entire like when this mission started, it's like this is like a good aerial bot mission. Like there's a <laughs> volcano erupting. Maybe like flying is quite a good skill set to have here. Not being a fire truck, like you know that's maybe less less useful. But yeah, yeah, the the aerial bots, yeah, a slow thing apparently. Now they are watching what is unfolding on a monitor. And Ultra Magnus would like to help their colleagues by sending in more troops, but he actually says that he can't because their defences of what he calls Scramble City at this point, which is why I mentioned the weird naming convention, folks, but Autobot City, he mentions that their defences would be compromised because of that, so he can't. So that explains why the aerial bots were not involved in this mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, Ultra Magnus. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> no, I would help you, but I'm going to gotta protect this important seismic research center that i made five minutes ago <laughs> he then throws out a call to athenia and the autobot headmasters along with spike daniel and wheelie are transported to earth by broadside to join in the activity but as they leave we see laserbeak is sitting on a rock face nearby watching on and then we get a wonderful close-up of laserbeak's face and then you get like the little traditional like shiny glint in his eye and i thought laser beak you're such a badass it's great yeah yeah he's like yeah i'll show that rat bat what it's like to <laughs> infiltrate infiltration wars <laughs> we then cut back to char where at this point now laser beak and sound blaster report back to zarak 
that his strategy is working. Cyclonus and Scourge then waltz in, questioning the validity of Zarak's strategy, and Sound Blaster responds with, The less you second team know, the better. That is the greatest burn that this series has had. Like, just amazing. Just like, yeah, second team. Like, the reserves. Go sit on your substitutes bench. And it's just like, that's brilliant. I love it. Thanks, Sam Blaster. I just literally thought, man, you ain't taking no BS today, are you? Yeah, yeah. Love it. The Autobot headmasters arrive, and Broadside, with Spike, Daniel, and Wheelie still inside, are sent to help with the evacuation efforts from the eruption, as that is getting a heck of a lot worse, and the villagers are now beginning to question, are we going to be rescued, or are we just going to be left here to wait? We see you. What the heck? <laughs> the narrator explains, though, that Broadside is unable to land due to all the, all the debris flying about and all like the seismic activity. So... At that point, Andy, maybe choose a better transformer to land. <laughs> like the Aerobots. I mean, but yeah, I mean, again, I mean, t t talking about, you know, character presentation, Broadside has been rubbish every time he's turned up in this show. Like in the US continuity and in here, he's just always a disappointment. And again, I think when he first appeared, I talked about it. Like I'd never seen the toy and I looked it up. Also a disappointment. So, you know, I guess just canonically, <laughs> Broadside is disappointing. <laughs> sorry, I've really got me, sorry. Uh, back, back to the battle. The Autobot Hodmasters, that's not their name. I'm doing really well today, folks. The Autobot Headmasters have helped even the odds for Raiden against the Decepticon Headmasters and Predaking. So much so, they get the upper hand quickly, and Chrome Dome then sends the train bots to go help the villagers. And randomly in this, Broadside is clearly done for the day, adding to the disappointment factor you just mentioned, Andy. So Daniel, Spike, and Wheelie just randomly get inside the train bots. No mention of Broadside again. Done. Gone. Yeah, yeah. He's done. Done his. Had his. Gets his appearance fee for the season. Will we ever <laughs> see him again? Who can say? Thank you for thank you for your contribution. You may leave. <laughs> the eruption is getting worse, and the train bots are also having issues getting to the locals. But ultimate, but ultimately, simply by flying higher into the sky, they are able to get there. Yeah, that that was that was quite a moment of just like, ah, how do we get to this? And yeah, it's like I think is it one of the train bots or is it like Daniel's bike? Or so, somebody in this whole thing just mentions just like just fly over it. I'm like, oh yeah, we could do that. It's like, oh my goodness. Uh, one other random detail as well. When the train bots were sort of connected together in their line of like your long carriages, I liked. I don't know if you noticed, but I liked the fact that the back of the train was snaking a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they, there's some nice little little subtle touches there. Hmm. Just a random thing, but it was pretty cool. But now, despite having got over the top of the volcanic ash and whatnot, there's now new problems. The narrator says, A red cloud has formed from the volcanic ash and evaporated moisture, with a temperature of hundreds of degrees. Chrome Dome at this point just says, Let's make use of this! Brainstorm! Try that whirlwind technique! He basically creates a mini cyclone by spinning really, really fast, just like around him, and the Decepticons can't deflect it, so they're basically just getting burned by really hot, molten air, as it were. Yeah. And the, the thing I like about this is, is this is exactly the kind of nonsense that you make made up when you're playing with your Transformers toys as a kid. Yeah. Like, you're playing with a friend, is like, aha, you're going to be defeated. Like, no, because 
he uses his whirlwind technique and it's like you just made that up like no i didn't it's look it's on the uh, text backs it's on yeah. the text backs <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't have them i don't have them handy but it, it, honest it is um yeah i, I mean again this, this is this is a thing that my understanding is this this series does on a, on a relatively often a relatively frequent and increasingly stupid basis that it just it makes up stuff like this but yeah sure do the whirlwind thing knock, knock yourself <laughs> out ultimately the decepticons retreat allowing the remaining autobot edmasters to help with the rescue effort as they successfully fly away and they're looking down at the village being engulfed by molten lava chrome dome muses to himself that they were able to safely get everyone away but alista uh, alista excuse me the sister of pipiru just says that was my home Sorry, that village was my home, where I grew up. Now it's gone forever. At which point I'm just thinking, Chrome Dome, mate, read the room. Yeah. Like, but also to be fair, Chrome Dome, like you think that's bad. I blew up my entire home planet, so <laughs> you know, you'd just be like, hey, at least you didn't blow up your home, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we then cut. Seemingly to like a little bit of time later, where they set up a camp for the for the dis- displaced villagers, if you will, and emotions are running high, and Chrome Dome surmises that the, that the Decepticons made all of this happen to divert their attention from Planet Zarak, and the other headmasters are like, "I agree," and that's the end of that scene. Sorry, just call it like it is. Back on Char. Cyclonus and Scourge are watching footage of the eruption on Earth unfold, and Cyclonus is not agreeing with Zarak's strategy. A specific quote, the Earth is a vital source of energy. So I'm glad, Andy, from like a traditional USG1 continuity point of view, that's still important. <laughs> Something yeah. has not changed. Yeah, although, I mean, there was quite a lot of trying to destroy Earth as well, so, I mean, there, always, always a little bit a little bit two-sided um and so certainly galvatron era would was not particularly interested in anything that didn't involve blowing stuff up so and uh, uh, sorry cyclonus excuse me that's the name i was trying to think of he says that this is potentially like or doing all of this is jeopardizing earth and may potentially destroy it we then hear a voice off screen just go so what if the earth is destroyed it turns out to be zarak and his shadowy presence Scourge says, if the Earth is destroyed, the energy source will disappear, and we will... Zarak then cuts him off and goes on to say, there's no need to worry. I've discovered a new source of super energy. When Cybertron was blown up, a lot of plasma energy was created. By collecting all this plasma energy dispersed in space, we can create everlasting energy. Cyclonus and Scourge are stunned by this news, but Zarak then adds, That day I will reveal my true identity, and then we will see the demise of Fortress and the Headmasters. The volcano's eruption was just part of my, of my strategy to destroy the Headmasters and Fortress. Just trust me and obey my orders, okay? I've got to say, as far as closing lines of speeches go, Zarak, you've got to work on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, you know, I guess someone's going to argue with him. But again, this is this is really nice in terms of the way it reveals stuff, because mm-hmm. it wasn't entirely clear why Zarak was into blowing up Cybertron 
and it all seemed a little bit like you know wishy-washy what exactly he was doing and now like couple of episodes later you get the reveal of like this is was assumedly his plan all the the whole time of like well this will generate this other energy source so good news for me um and so yeah it's 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 a it's a, it's a good reveal yeah and again it just it adds more sort of more just ingredients to whatever we're cooking up here and it's just it's really really good fun it does also make me wonder because the plasma energy that was created was it because Vector Sigma was making the oh what was that thing called? It wasn't Cybertonian, Cyberton Neuron. Yes, yeah. Like, do you reckon it's because Vector Sigma was making that that Zarak figured out, oh, well if there's a giant explosion, that combined with this will make it turn into as yeah. it were. I, I assume so, because that's that does seem to be like the through line of, of those events, doesn't it? Is that mm. that whole thing got announced and then Zarak was aha, like we should not steal it, but just blow everything up. And, you know, there, there seemed like there was... In that episode, it's it, it's sort of pitched as like, yeah, but what if we don't steal it? Then the Autobots will have it. That'll be bad news, therefore it's better to blow it up. But I just... It feels like this is the reveal of this was what he was actually after the whole time. Mm. So maybe, maybe we're giving the writers way too much credence and they're just talking <laughs> absolute nonsense every week. But I think that actually works as a really good set of kind of his actual motivations for this stuff. So I'm, mm. I'm willing to, I'm willing to buy that. Following all of that with the Decepticons now seemingly all on board with this grand plan, feelings quickly change as it turns out, all of this conversation we just heard was overheard by Steeljaw and Ramhorn, who are then pursued by Soundblaster as they try to escape. Back on Earth, the Autobots and the humans are, are relaxing, only for the Decepticon Headmasters to make a devious move. Just emerging from the undergrowth of a bush after one of the donkeys ran in. And then they begin to start threatening sort of, we're going to kill this donkey. And the another another headmaster grabs the child and goes, I'll kill this child. Make a decision, Chrome Dome. How do you want to resolve this? I, I feel like it would have been so much funnier if it was the other way around. They grabbed the boy first and they're like, oh, we don't care. Like, But what about the donkey? Like, all right, we'll do, we'll do anything you say. <laughs> and then we literally, Andy, because Chrome Dome has had a day and has had a few days, you know, not too good of stuff. But Chrome Dome is literally sweating. Adding now yes. to the conversation of the physiology of Transformers from Planet Master. Do they sweat? Is that why they went to the gym? <laughs> the yeah, previous I mean, yeah, we, we now know that they cry and sweat. So, I mean, yeah, we, we've got we've got the whole the whole waterworks going on. And then, as they're about to make their decisions to what they're going to do next, the other donkey, I believe it was Koro, the donkey, just runs towards. One of the headmasters bashes it on the leg, makes the headmaster trip over, thus in turn throwing the donkey. The other child goes flying in the air as well, is caught to safety, and then the Decepticon headmasters are chased away as it were, left to retreat, having failed to kill the donkey and the human. So yeah, that happened. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's all thanks to that donkey, is the quote that I wrote down here. <laughs> Which is, and we, I, I, ne I never, I never thought I would have be able to say those words on a Transformers podcast, <laughs> but here we are, mate. We've said a lot of things on this podcast, <laughs> like <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> but ultimately, the episode is starting to wind down. 
pleasantries and such are exchanged. I believe that uh, it was Alyssa, the sister, who gave uh, a necklace, sort of like a token of appreciation to Chrome Dome, and he says he'll cherish it gratefully and whatnot. Which, 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 given his his current his previous, probably means he won't. He'll like lose it or destroy it within like five seconds. So he'll probably drop it as he's transforming or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just gonna get <laughs> crushed under his wheels. It's like, oh, done it again. <laughs> We then return to Athenia. And, oh, actually, no, one other random detail, because I don't know if this will come up again, so I'm saying it now just for argument's sake. Uh, Spike actually stays behind and says he's going to investigate the Tremors, but everyone else can return to base. I'm assuming that's going to be, uh, that's to kind of show they haven't just saved them and run type thing. Yeah, but, yeah, and I, I, get, I, I guess they will, I don't know, they, they may well go back into that in terms of, you know, confirming that that it was all a decepticon employee from the very start i mean seemed pretty obvious from the fact that decepticons were there but you know i guess you probably want some proper evidence and probably just want an excuse to use their seismic research center for something that isn't just like oh look there's rumble <laughs> um so you know make, make good use of their resources i mean in fairness actually and this is probably again giving far too much credit to the writers we don't actually know what the decepticons did to cause the actual volcanic eruption and explosion no i'm assuming it's rumble because that would be made the sensible <laughs> thing to do if you wanted to cause earthquakes but who who can say exactly right we then return to athenia and apparently steeljaw and ramhorn got out of planet zarak okay because they're they're there and they end up playing part of the conversation that we heard through Twincast's chest. And now everyone is really annoyed and angry at the Decepticons. That this was all their plan all along and this Zarak fella, what the heck's going on? And this, this strengthens their resolve, if you will. And then the narrator says, literally prompting lots of questions which we have left unanswered. Which is very useful for a podcast like this, I've got to say. <laughs> Quote, when will Zarak show his true face and identity? And then what will happen? And where can Galvatron be? What is behind the whole mystery and what kinds of enemies will the Headmasters have to face? However, the more powerful their enemies become, the stronger the Headmasters' determination to wipe them out. And the episode ends. I, I, I feel like the, the narrator could have just kind of gone on with the quest, like, where can I buy the broadside toy? Is it available <laughs> from all good, all good toy retailers? Have Does you bought your six-shot toy today? Yeah. Does it retail for 12,000 yen? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, what, uh, have you got your Predaking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please send your fan mail into whichever channel aired this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the end of that episode. And I will be very honest here, Andy. Going in, when we had like the whole Mountains of Peru thing, and then the first thing we saw was kind of the stuff walking around a village and something, and then there was like a very random, interesting looking cuddle between Pipiru and the donkey very early on, which we didn't mention. <laughs> we didn't. I mean, I, I did, I did, I, I, I might have to make a gif of that at some point just for my own <laughs> self satisfaction, quite honestly. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that gif probably already exists on the internet, but it should exist one more time. <laughs> But I, going in, when that when that sort of stuff was happening, I just thought, oh, this is just going to actually be like our first almost filler episode, isn't it? That's what I thought going in. But turns out, no, this was actually a pretty crucial episode in many ways, as all of them have been so far. Yeah, and, and I think, again, this goes back to kind of what I've enjoyed about this series that I maybe wasn't expecting. Because 
if you t- if you take this at absolute surface level, this is kind of a filler episode because it's pretty generic. Like Decepticons do a bad thing, Autobots have to come and clean up the mess and save the day. But because it has the foundation of this broader ongoing storyline, that gives it more interesting things that it can do. Like even some of the little reveals and moments that you get within this kind of adds a whole extra layer to what would otherwise be a pretty generic episode. And like, and I, I think that really does a lot to make it feel way more interesting than it otherwise would if this had been like a mid-season two episode of the US cartoon. Agreed. And from there, uh, do you fancy some TF Wiki notes? Yeah, let's see. Let's see what we let's see what we got. Righty then. Continuity notes. The mystery of planet Zarak, the dark nebula, and the robot being built there first came to light. In the Shadow Emperor Zarak episode, they said Scorponok, because that's what it is in Japanese. You can hear that earlier in this podcast. (laughs) The Beast Formers previously appeared in Rebellion on Planet Beast, where the Decepticons also had them toiling in a factory. Mm -hmm. Ah, here we go, Andy. The Autobots previously dealt with a problematic Peruvian mountain in Fire on the Mountain. Yeah, there we go. From season one. So there you go. See, I was, I was hoping that it was going to be a direct reference that it was like the same mountain, but uh, I, we, we didn't we didn't go quite that far. That would have been fun, though, right? If we could have seen like loads of Transformers or the humans like years later. Yeah, well, because there was a point where I wondered if they were going to do that and maybe be like, oh, yeah, you, 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 you machines have been here before. Like, you know, you built the big gun thing. Um, and to, for that actually to be a plot line, but I guess that would have been a bit of a weird deep cut for this series. Trivia. Even while surrounding himself with flames, which this did happen, uh, Zarak can still remain entirely hidden in a shadow. That takes a certain kind of skill. Yeah, yeah, he, he continues to be very good at doing that. His, his, um, his his kind of um special effects team clearly hard at work <laughs> to keep him cloaked yeah for context for our audio listeners while he's giving that big speech revealing his grand plan he essentially starts having like if you imagine he has like a big energy imagine like in dragon ball z terms he's going super saiyan he's kind of got an energetic glow around him implying he's really powerful but he's still a shadow even though it's fire so yeah. it's very funny it is good good stuff Oh, okay. Well, this answers this question, Andy. Exactly how the Decepticons caused the volcano to erupt is never explained. Okay. Well, I still say it's Rumble, so, you know. That's the canon now, because no one else has explained (laughs) it. I have explained it for you. Octane has gone from an opportunistic outcast to a sadistic foreman. Maybe he's found his niche. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it does feel like he's just, like, career change. good, good, Good for you sometimes. And alluding to what we were talking about a few moments ago, Andy... Pipiro is way too friendly with his donkey. <laughs> <laughs> right, foreign localization. Oh, flipping heck, here we go. So, the English Omni Productions dub called this episode The Dormant Volcano Erupts Again. <laughs> Just sure, you know, fair. Right, here we go. There's notes here, so bear with me, folks. Twincast and Razorclaw are again identified, respectively, as Platon and Lee. Octane is identified as Bear. Okay. <laughs> Cayenne, one of the train bots, 
who had previously been Powell, is now referred to as I, AI, and Defensor is simply Robot. <laughs> wow, I mean, we finally reached the kind of the plateau, the peak of uh, Omni Productions naming, I guess. Shoki is first identified as Sogo, which had been used for Razor Claw in an earlier episode, but is referred to later as Sogi, which would be used for Zarak in subsequent episodes. God. Oh, what a mess. Hotspot is referred to as Hock, H O K. Okay. So they're not named after the German wine. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. Speaking of someone who doesn't drink alcohol, I had no idea that was a thing, so fair play. <laughs> Predaking, King, who has been Puda, uh, sorry, who had been Puda in the last episode, is referred to in dialogue as Polita. Yeah. Wait, was that the name of the donkey? I, no. I don't know what? at this point. I don't know anymore. <laughs> I should stop asking these questions. <laughs> it was Coro and Dodo, wasn't it, the donkey's names? Oh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't know. Uh, Silverbolt is, re- is identified as Fi, F-A-I. Sound Blaster, most recently Cytos, uh, but also Bulada and Puda, is identified here as Sand. <laughs> <laughs> Broadside is referred to as Planton. Raiden, in what is the closest approximation of a real train bot name so far, is, retur- uh, is referred to, excuse me, as Ladine. Not bad. Oh God, what? So Hardhead, whose name had not been given, um, whose name had not been given Omni Productions any troubles up to this point, is identified as Train. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was some actual Train characters in <laughs> Headmasters that they could have given that name to, but alas, the tank <laughs> has to get it, I guess. But the funny part, Andy, is I already. Uh, it specifically also says here in dialogue directions for the final portion of this episode so it's just at the end of the script it wasn't even noted anywhere else yeah well there you go all right shout factory subtitles they called the episode the dormant volcano mysteriously erupts so the cold open of scorp sorry try it again because i've got something scorpionock the cold open of Zarak standing and diabolically plotting is omitted. Okay. Did we get that? Um, I'm not sure that we did. I mean, there, there was definitely the DVD, some diabolical. There? I, there's definitely some diabolical planning, but I don't think there was a cold open. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. The subtitles uh, translate the mention of Scramble City's seismograph in a completely made-up Autobot seismic research center. Yeah. Well, there we go. The dialogue early on when uh, in the village of Pan where the old man is expressing his belief that Koro is a, is the reincarnation of one of Pipiro's parents is cut. Okay. Yeah, I, I do mean, not remember that happening, so that was which I'm not going to go into what I was going to say about that that gif that makes that even even more weirder at that point. <laughs> I will leave it at that. As is the norm for Shout Factory's translations, the mini cassettes are referred to as deployers. Immediately after the Predacons have combined into Preda King, Shoki strangely seems to express confusion that the train bots have combined. The original simply has him utter an order to the train bots to combine. 
Okay. Yeah, I don't know why he'd be confused about it at this point. They have done it a few times. Right. The subtitles once again try to prematurely claim that Earth is a source of plasma energy in Zarak's evil plan rant. In the original J Japanese script, I believe it's referring to here, he simply states that the plasma energy released by the destruction of Cybertron is a more rewarding source of energy than anything Earth has to offer. Subtitle Zarak also... Oh, the subtitles... Slightly weirdly worded here, but subtitle Zarak also claims that the plasma energy will bring forth everlasting energon, a change from the simple eternal energy of the original. That's interesting because that's almost what's the way to put this? The tra the Metrodome translation we had was closer to the Japanese, but in some ways the Shout Factory version is closer yet farther away from what we had, which is interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, 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 a, it's a slightly curious distinction, but yeah, I do think not not to show favoritism to my DVD here, but I do prefer how it phrased it in our version. Yeah, I I think it's a little bit clearer that way. Hmm. So relating to towards the end of the episode here. The Decepticon Headmasters hold Pipiro and Koro hostage so that the Autobot Headmasters will teach their transformation technique to the Decepticons. The strange ransom diverges from the original demand that the Autobots give up their transsectors. In fairness, Andy, I forgot to mention that as a point when we were talking about that. So It did seem weird. I, I thought they were maybe referring to like the head swapping thing um, mm. because I've we've not seen the Decepticons do that. I don't think they can do that. Well, they probably can, but they don't know how to do that. So I, I thought it was maybe that, but yeah, that that makes more sense um, for them to to to, do, to give that up because yeah, it's like teach us how to transform. It's like that's you had one job, Transformers. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure you know how to do that already. Yeah, because I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Have we had any backstory to the Decepticon Headmasters yet? I think in we terms have of where they came from. No, no, I don't think we have to be honest. So there is there is a lot of a lot of mystery around them in general. Yeah, cuz part of me kind of wonders was Zarak originally with the crew that left Cybertron on Planet Master and maybe he just became a a bit of a twonk and was ditched by them or something. Yeah, Zarek, a bit of a twonk that was uh, on his report card, <laughs> I'm sure. Um yeah, I mean cuz the, the series has definitely set up a sort of Something between him and Fortress. Hmm. So, yeah, it's not within the realms of impossibility. Hmm. And finally, on the foreign localization point of view, in Mandarin, this episode was known as the mysterious eruption of the dormant volcano. Yeah, I mean, that's on point. <laughs> and apparently in Italian, it translates to the mysterious explosion of the extinguished volcano. That makes less sense. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I can see, I can see the translation from dormant to extinguished there, but you know, doesn't have quite the same ring to it. And that wraps up the notes for this episode. So, I guess, Andy, any other observations, notes, occurrences that we may not have mentioned during our recap that you want to make note of? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, I will say actually, I, I seem to recall like towards the end of like the the first of the two episodes we talked about, like one of Zarak's maniacal laughs sounded very much like a bit of a schoolboy hee 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 instead of like <laughs> something a bit more grandiose. So like I, I don't know quite what's up with Zarak's laugh. That's the only other note that I would like to make <laughs> of any importance. <laughs> 
fair. I've got nothing to follow on that. I'm, I'm, I'm here to bring only the most important Transformers conversation to the table. <laughs> <laughs> so, folks, what is up next? Well, next time on the show, we are going to be talking about episodes 13 and 14 of Transformers Headmasters. That podcast will be coming in a couple of weeks' time from when you are hearing this and when it is first published, I should say. The episodes in question are as follows. Episode 13, Head On, Fortress Maximus. I'm looking forward to seeing how that unfolds. And I've just seen a screenshot, Andy. Things are going to get weird. (laughs) And episode 14, Explosion on Mars. Maximus is in danger. (laughs) That's that's a quick turnaround. (laughs) Like, yay, Fortress Maximus. Like, oh no, Fortress Maximus. (laughs) Basically the two episode titles here. I mean, look, the last time we had an episode title that had the phrase is in danger, a, <laughs> yeah. a lot happened. This I'm is, just this saying. Is, <laughs> this is this is very true. Also, this definitely feels, this definitely ties into our, like, the animators really like explosions, like, literally <laughs> in the title now. They're like, yep, there's going to be explosions in this one. I can guarantee it. <laughs> So yeah, folks, as mentioned, our next podcast will be out in a couple of weeks' time from when this one is first published. So make sure you keep following and such, and make sure you are subscribed so you get the episode into your feeds as soon as it becomes available. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter and Instagram, at StarScreensPod. If you've been watching here on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button if you feel so inclined. And be sure to leave a, a comment and hit the like button if you would like to do so as well. Andy, before we wrap up, any other additional thoughts that you would like to convey to folks? Uh, no, I just want to go and have some Energon goodies. So, uh, yeah, nothing else to, to note here. There we go. The one other bit of housekeeping I will mention is, if you want to, we also have a page on Patreon that you can follow us on. We don't charge anything for it. It's simply just a long-term free audio archive solution for the podcast. You can find that at patreon.com slash ghost. With that being said, from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Handley, we've been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Thank you very much for watching and or listening. And until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Thanks very much. Bye, everyone.